This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. Mike Willisy was Australia's most famous, well-known and trusted journalist and broadcaster. He spent more than 50 years working as a journalist across newspapers, radio, television and documentaries. He published his first book, Memoirs, in 2017. Mike was born into the Catholic faith and he spent many years trying to avoid what he later saw as his spiritual destiny. His second book, written in the final year of his life, documents his spiritual journey. It's one man's attempt to make sense of the profound mysteries of faith. Mike passed away in March 2019, but with me now is his friend and lawyer, Ron Tesorero, who accompanied Mike on many of his travels and introduced him to the stories that came to later fascinate him. Welcome, Ron. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Katrina. Can you tell us about the first time that you and Mike met on the Central Coast? Yes. Well, uh, Katrina, Mike um, happened to buy a holiday house next to where I lived on the Central Coast. And um, that was back in the late 70s. And uh, we became good friends. Our children were much the same age. We socialised a lot together. And in our early years, we spoke mainly about business and television matters. But one day, a bit later on in our relationship, over a barbecue on one Sunday, I began to tell him that I had been investigating some interesting stories, stories of um, stigmata and... um, person in South America who had mystical experiences and that um, there were other cases I was looking at that science really had trouble trying to explain. And Mike said to me, look, Ron, you know, these things that can't happen and don't happen. Because I've been there, I've done uh, stories on claim miraculous happenings and there's nothing to them, you know, don't waste your time. And I said, Mike, you know, you... Pride in the fact that you are an investigative journalist, one of Australia's best. Um, you look at the facts and then tell people what you think. But in this case, you express neg- negativity without even wanting to look at the facts. Why don't you at least look at the facts and then tell me what you think? Hmm. Better still, prove me wrong. Hmm. And of course, what happened from there was that Mike took on that challenge. And uh, what he can, what's contained in the book really is what happened as he tried to address these stories and prove me wrong. Yeah, it was. it's interesting that his work previously had involved, you know, exposing a lot of scams and cons, things like psychic killers and water diviners and magic waters. Do you, do you believe Mike was a true sceptic in your view? Uh, I'm, I certainly believe he was a true sceptic. I meant the strength with which he dismissed what I was saying at the time was one indicator, but also the fact that he prided in that he had dealt with many programs and successfully uh, uncovered frauds and things associated with claims of miracles. And he regarded himself as one of the best uh, sceptics in the game. In fact, he says he even got an award from uh, the Skeptics Association. So he he did have this feeling that if there was something uh, that needed to be investigating, he could get to the bottom of it and the truth of it. And miraculous happenings were things that just had no basis at all. So he was sceptical, and uh, I sensed that uh, from the at the beginning, but I also noticed how that changed as he was able to investigate with science some of the stories that we dealt with. And he was certain that he was going to dig something up to to demonstrate this was all fraud. Mm. Well, it was you that that sort of brought Mike into this world of investigating the mystery. 
the mystical phenomena. But I think it's quite interesting the way that you yourself were drawn into faith in a rather surprising and dramatic way. Can you tell us about yeah. the first time okay. that Father Bill Alaprandi walked into your legal practice wanting to buy a block of land? Yes. I, uh, I was brought up a Catholic, but this is practice. One day I was sitting in my legal office being very happy with how things were going. And a priest turned up on my doorstep wanting some advice. I, yes, I hadn't previously acted for him. You know, when he came in, he said, look, I'm trying to buy some land for a church and a school in this area, and um, I haven't got any money, and uh, Paris hasn't got any money, but I've seen a piece of land that I thought would be suitable for um, you know, what we want. We have milk down there, and I've been praying on that land each morning as I go on my morning walk, and I'd like to be able, I'd like to be able to get it. I said, "Oh, hang on, father. What you don't know who owns land? You you you've got no money. Um, you uh, you don't know whether it's for sale, um, and uh, and you don't know where the boundaries are. Um, maybe that's the way they did conveyancing in the Middle Ages. But I need to know who owns the land, um, whether it's for sale, and you need money. Uh, so I pulled out a zoning map and I said, "Look, this is where it seems you're trying to get a piece this piece of land." It's the wrong zoning for school, so forget about it. You know, you're wasting your time. So he wanders off, and the next day someone turns up in my office who, who I hadn't previously acted for, saying, look, would you act for me to, to, to market um, a piece of land I have? In fact, I've had two pieces of land. One I've got a buyer for. The second one I haven't got a buyer for, but I wanted the first buyer to take those pieces of land because I want to liquidate my company in this financial year. Well, it turned out that the second piece of land was where the priest had put his, um, his relic and prayed and hoped to get it. So, kind of long story short, I introduced these, this new this client of mine to the priest. He ended up getting it for a very uh, small amount of money. And today you, you see a school and a church there that was a product of this little story. But afterwards, I, when, when this, this thing came into um, fruition, I said to the priest, I said, look, yeah, when you knelt down on the ground and you looked up to the sky and you prayed to a God you couldn't see and you asked for the impossible and it happens, what do you, what do you say about that? He says, look, I, I work for God and um, he, he hasn't lost his power. He's the creator of the world. I'm trying to do his job and he has to help me. If I haven't got money, that's his job. He has to provide the means to do it. To do it. And so I wasn't at all surprised that he would help me in the way he did. And that made me begin to question, now, is, is God an interventionist God? Does he, does he interfere in the, in the affairs of men? When you pray, you know, can you expect a response? And that made me start to begin to look at claims of supernatural happenings in history, what science has to say about them. And, uh, and of course, the Catholic Church prides itself in the fact that we, they create saints as a result of miraculous interventions, something the laws of nature have been suspended in some way and that becomes a marker for the sanctity of the person we're talking about. So I wondered, does, has science looked at these cases and what does it say? How can you have people in this current scientific world claiming the miraculous when the science doesn't believe in the miraculous? Mm. So that was my quest and that's how I started. Mm. I'm speaking to... Ron Tazariro, he accompanied Mike Willisy on many of his travels and uh, making the Signs of From God documentary. So, Ron, you 
dragged Mike Willisy rather reluctantly into your spiritual quest to see whether or not God was still intervening in the world today. And you particularly introduced him to the story of this Bolivian woman called Cardia Riva. Why did you want Mike to meet Cardia and to tell her story? Well, it, it, it started from that, that, that challenge I put to Mike. Mike said he didn't believe in these things. And I said, listen, come and have a look and prove me wrong. So um, he had the opportunity to start from scratch to examine this particular person and her claim. And uh, he specifically wanted to uh, in, interrogate her and this, this claim of her stigmata. Now, when we went to see this person, um, she said, look, Jesus told me that, Mike, um, I'm going to permit you to film the stigmata, but it's not going to happen today. It'll happen two months away. It'll happen on this day at this time, and you can bring your camera with you and your film crew, and you'll be able to film what happens. And so we actually filmed the prediction of someone saying that they would have a supernatural experience two months away and that Mike could film it. And that... Um, and I was there present when that that um, prediction was made. And, and, of course, Mike sort of says to her, you really expect me to believe that in two months' time we can turn up here and you'll have the wounds of the crucifixion appear in your body and we'll be able to film it? And they said, do you really think it's going to happen? And she says, well, Jesus told me it's going to happen. I I, I can only hope that it happens. I, I that, That's all I can say. So just turn up and we'll see what happens. Did you have any doubt? I mean, this is a huge investment. You're on on the other side of the world with the camera crew. Was there part of you, Ron, going, oh, my gosh, we could look like idiots if this thing doesn't happen? Um, I don't think I felt that it would look like idiots. I I felt that um, there was a story there because of what had already accumulated. See, I'd been there before, examined her, filmed her writing theology continuously without lifting the pen, I'd already done some research on her and I felt that there was something very substantial in her claim. And it didn't surprise... Well, it surprised me that she made a prediction and it did happen, but it was uh, it was worth the risk. So it was a story either way. It was a story that there was nothing to it, like Mike does with his um, investigations of phenomena, strange phenomena, hmm. or it was true. So he had a story either way. So it, it was not a risk in that sense because... If it was false, he would present it as false. Mm. And so uh, we were then in a position where we had to um, come back and see what happened. And, of course, Mike at this stage had organised the Fox Network, or they had organised him to do a story on this because it sounded interesting. And so there's this question, is it going to happen on that day? And so with the film crew and all the investment to, to film this event, we went there on the predicted day. And at the predicted day, at the predicted time, from nothing, the wounds of the crucifixion began to appear on her, starting with wounds on her forehead and her face, her hands, her feet. All of this was witnessed and filmed, filmed by about a 60 Minutes cameraman and a sound recorders, nine witnesses in the room. We saw it progressively, um, the, those wounds appear straight after 12 noon, and they were they were... Severe wounds. That the if anyone wants to check this, they can look it on the on the uh, on the internet. Um, there's there's material that I put on there showing all of the photographs and the progression of time as it's happened. Probably more so than even on the on the program Science from God. But Mike came away from that experience a changed person. He had seen the wounds of the crucifixion appear in front of his eyes, 
and in, and with the camera. And he walked away from that saying, I can't deny what I saw, I can't deny what I filmed. It was a real event. So what was the feeling in the room, Ron, at the time when this uh, phenomenon was happening? What was your own personal emotional experience or spiritual experience at the time? Well, I suppose it is no one's going to believe this is happening, but it is happening. So um, we had a challenge to try and present something which people would say is impossible to happen, but it happened. We filmed it happening. So there was a a sense of... uh, of gravity about how do you make this story, uh, how do you present this story when you know it's real and you know that people don't want to believe it or don't want to look at the facts. It was a reality. Mike says it changed him and uh, he was a person who said this stuff doesn't happen. Now, we've got to to, uh, consider this, that Mike had a reputation for being, you know, a hard-nosed, sceptical journalist who, you know, doesn't fall for these things easily. But he applied all his usual investigative journalist techniques, the, the man that we've always known to be that one that you, if he said something based upon his investigation, you could believe him more than anyone else. Now he was confronted to trying to convince a world that something that's happened that he knew happened, that he was a witness to, but no one would believe it. And so he carried that weight ever since the date of that program, even copying the criticisms of people who said, Mike, you've, you've, soft, you, you've gone soft in the head believing this stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, he was the sort of person who would say, tell the truth, even though he knew that it would be difficult for people to accept it, whether mm-hmm. it was in politics or on any story. And um, his mantra was, I'm going to get to the bottom of this, I'm going to find out the truth, and I'm going to tell it no matter what the consequences are. And he did that with his story. And obviously um, in the book, uh, A Skeptic's Search for Meaning, there's a lot of detail about everything that happens and Mike's own spiritual journey. And one of the notable things is that even after he witnessed this phenomenon and others and things that broke through his scepticism, it still took a while before he himself made a personal faith commitment. Yeah, it was a journey for him because um, he didn't jump straight into it. I mean, the the, the stigmata story was the real boost that, that made him start thinking. And, of course, uh, you know, there's one step to believe in God and believe the, uh, the event of the, um, the, the stigmata. Then the next thing is to be prepared to, uh, to go into a, into a, you know, a confession and uh, confess all the things you've done in your life. And that took a, you know, probably a year or two after the, the stigmata. But it, it was a slow pro- progression, and from that time... Um, he continued on with me examining cases, which even bolstered his, his view. So what do you hope people are going to take away from reading Mike's story? Well, he, he sums it up himself. He says, um, uh, this is all very difficult to believe, but um, um, I found it the most um, uh, important thing I've done in my life to do this story. Um, I feel compelled to tell it. Um, it shows that you know God is alive and that his hand moves. So in a sense, people can take away from Mike's experience that he was a witness to certain events, a credible witness, and that um, it does point to the fact that there is a God and that that he's active in our world. Mm. You must miss him, do you? I do. The thing is, I've got so much footage of him, of things we've done together, and I'm compiling a new documentary on uh, much of his life and and the work we've done. So I keep seeing him every day as I play with these things, and... um, he really, he really, uh, I do miss him, but 
the interesting thing about people like Mike who had faith, um, for him, death was not the end. And so, in a sense, as Christians, that's what we all believe. So it's not like it's a final ending, you know. So I, I do have that um, sense that he's, he's here in the things that I'm doing, but always with the understanding that wherever he is, I will be one day, and it's not the end. Mm. All right. Thank you for sharing your journey with us, Ron. Thank you. I hope I have. I hope you've gained something. But the book has a lot in it, and I'm sure um, people who read it will be able to fill in the gaps that we haven't covered. It's a fascinating read. It does get you in. Thank you for sharing some of the story. Um, We only wish that Mike could have told it himself, but it is his own words in the book. So, yeah. yeah. And one thing I'm disappointed about is he's left it for me to talk about. He would have been so much better. (laughs) So much better in telling his own story than I could ever be. However, uh, as you say, he's written it in his books. They were his last words, so they must mean something. That's right. Thank you, Ron. That is Ron Tesoriro, Mike Willis's friend and lawyer who accompanied Mike on his many trips. And you can read Mike's story in his in his own words in his book called A Skeptic's Search for Meaning, A Spiritual Journey. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.